Welcome everyone to Faces and Feels. I'm your host, Rafe Houston, and today we are joined by a very special guest. He was recently featured in Deathmatch Down Under's The Juice is Worth the Squeeze Heavyweight Title Tournament. It is the man known as Edward Dusk. How are you today, sir? I'm very well, thank you, sir. And yourself? I am quite good. It's uh, 8.35am over in uh, very cold Perth, Western Australia. Uh, How's life over East treating you? Uh, It is not much warmer over here. Um, I'm rugged up, thankfully, but the two-hour difference is not changing much weather-wise. It is very cold. Yes, I was grateful that it was two hours difference because I briefly thought this morning that I'd completely stuffed our schedule. So I'm glad that's not the case. <laughs> Very lucky. <laughs> exactly. So, but uh, I, I was mentioning off mic uh, that my first exposure to you was uh, when you appeared in Deathmatch Down Under. Your your look and approach and, and vibe just completely stood out to me as something completely different from anybody else on the show. Um, where does Edward Dusk begin? Uh, it begins very much not where you saw it. Um, it is much a much um, grander realised thing at this point. Uh-huh. Um, but it definitely begins long before that, uh, before there was really any of the presentation I have now um, as a very awkward, chubby lad um, trying to find out where he fits in, mm-hmm. I think. And it kind of all evolved... From there, kind of found where I started wrestling um, at a training school, and then over time, it all kind of—it's a lot of pieces that have all come together over the years. Was wrestling like your first sort of like physical outlet, like sport and things like that? You say being a chubby kid and stuff. Was it was it like your first kind of attempt to do something different and change the way you looked and felt and acted? Uh, it wasn't my first attempt. I think I've tried. I tried many things. Um, tried is the best word, and I've tried very, very sparingly. Mm-hmm. Um, would do the bare minimum, and then be annoyed that I didn't see the biggest results and the big return. Yeah. And then I think I definitely. Um, I say it all the time. When I tried out for the wrestling school, I was trying out to to fail it. I was. I figured I'd go in, I'd give it a shot, I'd fail. And then I wouldn't have to worry about was I met you know would I ever be able to be a wrestler? I'd just be able to say no, I gave it a shot and I failed. Yeah, but I didn't, and I did okay at it. And it just kind of became this thing where, as I was doing it, I realized how much fitter and more athletic and better the people I was training with were. Yeah, and I kind of thought if I'm going to be better than them, I need to start being a better me, for lack of a less cliche term. Yeah. But it was very much that. I um, I think the, the fitness and, and everything that kind of followed was in the lead up to that, that I saw how far ahead everyone else was, and I didn't want to be left behind. I wanted to be better than them. So it was pushing myself to go from being the chubby lad to being the way I am now. Really just that. I think it was a bit of a competitive spirit that led that change. Yeah. I can, I can relate to that, man. Like, I've never really been a sports guy or anything like that. And it was the same when I was growing up and I was a kid. I remember, like, trying karate classes and trying football and trying these different things. And none of them came easy to me. And and probably, like like you said, it was, like, 
minimal effort, right? And I feel like I've been like that with quite a lot of stuff in my life uh, mm. until I found music. Um, and even then, to be honest, I kind of did that for 10 years, but even then, maybe that was pretty minimum as well. I got, I got decent at it. The, the band did really well. But when it started, it was maybe minimum, but then you start to see uh, things flourish and, and then you start to put in more work, you know? So is that kind of how it started? Like you, you go in and you're like, oh, this isn't going to be good, and then you kind of find you've got a little bit of an aptitude for it? I think so. Um, I think that's where a lot of what Edward Dusk is now kind of came from was didn't have the athletic side of things. Uh-huh. So I focused on what I could do, which was the more character stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, as I kind of walked down that road a bit more and played a bit more into becoming a character, over time I slowly found who I really was. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of evolved into you know, what, what you saw with the Deathmatch tournament. Um, but it definitely started with, because I didn't have the, the athletic side of things, I focused on what I did have the aptitude for, which was talking, um, which was character and the more creative side of things, and then slowly caught up with the stuff I couldn't do as well because I could kind of mask, you know, I, I can't go out there and, and do, you know, a nip-up and then do a hurricane runner and do a nice dive, but... I can do these things really well. I can talk. I can have a character. I can bring something different to the table and use that to make up for the shortcomings I had in the other areas while I got better at them until they kind of balanced out, as it were. Absolutely. like, And that, that's the benefit of wrestling, right? The memorable characters are really what always stand out. Like, You can see some amazing athletes and you can remember some amazing spots, but really it's the the gimmicks and characters and stuff that really latch on to people. And so when I see you, uh, you know, come through that curtain and there's the, there's the mask and there's the, the coat and then I see you in the rig and you're like showing like a viciousness and aggression, like you're working your opponent down and stuff like that. I'm like, this guy is telling a story from the second he comes through of like a, a more cerebral wrestler, which is, which is really cool to me. There's, I definitely have a bit of a violent disposition, I suppose, <laughs> when things get we're going. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is a bit of a. I, I've said it a few times that I think that stories and whatnot are what's important. My partner and I were talking about it the other week when we were watching some wrestling. That a good character or a good story in a match will make up for a lot of like lack of work rate, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Yeah. Whereas great work rate can never make up for the lack of a good story. You have the best technical match in the world, but if there's no story, what, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, the best example is always going to be Rock and Hogan at Mania. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, all, it's all just two characters and it's one of the best matches ever before they even touch one another. And I think that's definitely not saying that that's where I'm at by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that that's where, as as you said, I think that's definitely what I try try to bring, whether it's an entrance or a story or just the fact that I have a character. Mm-hmm. It's it's trying to bring that to things because I feel like it's it's not something that's lacking, but it's something that always there's always room for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and even in like 
certain, you know, independence and things like that. Sometimes, you know, wrestlers go from company to company and there's no real story. It's just like dream matches and stuff like that, which is cool and there's nothing wrong with that. But if the performer has a way of like weaving their narrative throughout all of that and joining it up together, um, that really stands out. Like if you have a look at um, Killer Cross uh, from who's now, you know, NXT champion and stuff. He he had like a website that essentially sort of, you know, documented his entire story, like through all the different, you know, right. uh, organizations he was and the different iterations of his character and stuff like that, kind of explaining it. Like he was putting in that effort and weaving like an ongoing narrative for like his entire career. And when you hear like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And when you hear like, uh, Shaw Michaels even says that like, uh, the character that he was like from the the rockers through the sexy boy to who he ends up like in his mind, that's all the same guy. You know, he yep. never stopped. And so, for you, do you feel like Edward Dusk has always been that for you? Like, has has he always been the a character that you've been developing? I think so. Um, I've definitely I, I I definitely am guilty of I suppose overthinking things uh-huh. or over analyzing things. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to the same same degree that obviously Cross and, and Sean have as well, where I think that those those things are what can make something like wrestling great as an art form. Mm-hmm. It's it's the thing you don't need it in the forefront. Like for instance, like you could easily look at someone like Sean Michaels and anyone can craft, you know, connect the dots any which way they want. But it's not at the forefront. It's there for you to find if you want it. Yeah. And I think those are the things that make it good. Like on the surface, you know, uh, Edward Dusk is what what he is today. Mm-hmm. But I can I can absolutely look at it and say from day one and trace it out to you. And how, you know, when I started, when I had my first match, I was not. I, I it was the name. I was Edward Dusk, but it was not who it is now. It yeah. was someone trying to be something. I, I I had no idea who I was, so I tried to be someone else, and it was a bad attempt at trying to be Christian, really. Yeah. Um, because I was like, that's cool. If I'm like that, then I'll be cool. And it never felt right. It never felt like it was me. And then I slowly kind of introduced little things just because they felt right. And then slowly it kind of snowballed into what it is today. And then little pieces, I've kind of just fallen, I suppose, further down the rabbit hole. I kind of started playing in, uh, not playing in, but dabbling with further into like occult things and what's become the eternal ones and those aspects of the character. And as they've kind of been brought in and I've enjoyed it and lent further into it, it's built into a much more full-formed character that I feel is much more me now than what it was when I definitely had no idea who I was. Yeah, I know who I am now, and it is a completely different place to where I thought I would be. Yeah, yeah, and you're just this organic mythos is sort of built up over time. Yes, it's very, it's, it's very much been that of just something... I, I kind of go over and explore this and 
something works or something clicks, so that can stay, and then eventually something else. Like the coat itself has become an entire thing, um, where it started as just I looked at myself. I watched a match back where I did. I just walked out and I thought I look so plain and boring. I'm just a guy wearing tights and a singlet. I look dumb. Yeah. So I thought, well, if I had an entrance jacket, that'd be really cool. And then again, it was immediately like, but I hate everything. I don't want a vest. I don't want a hoodie. Everyone's got the AJ Styles hooded vest. That's yeah, yeah. so, that's not me. And then I kind of just started drawing ideas and eventually drew something that I was like, that's me. That's what I want. And then got that made and put it on, and all of a sudden something kind of clicked, and it's just kind of been a series of those events where it's something that feels right, and I try it, and it works. Yeah. When when I see that, like, and you talk about a cult and cult leaders and things like that, when I see that, I see the sort of color, color in that, and it doesn't even look the same, but it gives me that kind of Bane vibe, you know, like from from Batman and stuff. Oh, just yeah, that the bit. nice fur coat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's not the same, but it, it just there's something about that that just, just sort of reminisces that kind of person for me, which is, which is really cool. So anybody that isn't uh, familiar with Edward Dusk uh, and, and isn't familiar with all the mythos and stuff, lay it, lay it out for them. Like if you, you had to explain to somebody who Edward Dusk is, uh, how would you explain that? Oh, God. Yeah, um, elevator pitch. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, Edward Dusk, it's very much a masochistic psychopath who is holding on to some kind of mask of civility to try and fit in. Um, it's a, a bit of a broken mind, I think. Like you said, I think on, on appearance, it's, it's very well. It's very held together. It is, it is someone who's wearing a mask to try and show what they want people to see them as because that's what he sees himself as. But at its core, it's not. It's, it's this very evil, sadistic person who is out there trying to hurt people for some kind of semblance of, of pleasure. But it's all yeah, being masked under this belief that, no, I'm a well-held-together aristocratic person with you know a stable mental state, when it's none of these things. And it's all kind of shadowed by the fact that he's chalked up this entire psychosis to well, it's because I'm chosen by these mystical figures that have, you know, I'm their chosen one. I'm not crazy. And it's it's one of those people that can never face their own reality because they're too busy creating excuses of why they don't have to. Yeah. Which, I mean, is what any villain is. Yeah. But just this continuing thing of, well, I'm not a psychopath. I'm just, you know, doing what I'm told to do. Oh, I'm not schizophrenic. It's because my, you know, my gods that I worship told me to do it and I'm their chosen one. Exactly. I'm completely justified in everything. I have, I have a higher purpose. I'm in the right. Very that. Yeah. Very that. Higher sense of purpose, a higher sense of being, just putting themselves on a higher plat than anyone else. Yeah. And it's like you'll all see 
when this all ends up and everything's said and done, you'll see that I was right and this was all supposed to be. Everything is a part of the plan. Yeah. Anything that goes any which way can somehow be, you know, construed into, well, that was meant to happen. Yeah. That was the path. That was that was my destiny. I was meant to lose. I was meant to win. You were meant to do that. It's all a part of the path. I knew that because I'm better than you. Yeah. Which it which is kind of a great vehicle as well when uh you're dealing with opponents and things like that because they can can they ever really ruffle his skin like when he's just like, No, I knew that and they're like, What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, kind of thing you can use that. It goes both ways. Is it's a great it's a great um, defense mechanism, but at the same time, the characters need weakness. Yeah, and I think that's where people get lost. They're too busy in what makes them strong that they forget what makes them weak. Yeah, and it's where absolutely it could be shoved off as well. Nothing phases me because it's all part of the plan. But at the same time, it does. If you if you fully believe that everything is a part of the plan, but the plan isn't going your way, then maybe the plan's not right. And that again, it's it's a circle of not being able to be satisfied. Like a, a hero faces a hurdle or a um, something they have to overcome, and they overcome it because they're the hero. They persevere. Whereas the villain or the broken character doesn't. They can't overcome a hurdle. And that's kind of it. You know, it's a this is the who I am. I'm this very well put together mastermind but I'm completely broken in my psyche because I'm an actual psychopath. Well, that's only because, you know, my gods have chosen me and I'm on their path, but the path doesn't fit. Well, that's because I'm be- they, they don't know what they're talking about. I know because I, I'm the vehicle. They're just some deities floating aimlessly because I'm a well-put-together mastermind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on it goes forever. And on it goes forever because he can't overcome any of these hurdles or obstacles just creates an excuse of why you can just bypass right through them yeah now that that's really interesting man and like yeah it like it shows how much thought you've put into it but it being able to wrap yourself in that means that you you know know the correct responses and way you can take things which i think is where a lot of people fall down when they're doing you know a character or what their motivations are or anything like that i think it's something that you need i think you need to know what you, what motivates your character. It doesn't like I'm very aware that I've put far too much thought and effort into this, as some people might say. Yeah. I like it. It's what keeps me going. It's what I spent you know all of lockdown doing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, your character motivation could be something as simple as they want to win, and that's it. It doesn't need to be any deeper than that. That that's motivation. Mm-hmm. You know, in the world of wrestling, you know, you, you win the match, you get the bigger pay purse, you go home with more money, you get the bigger opportunity. That's that's motivation. And that at the same time is its weak is a weakness too. You know, for many reasons. And you don't need it to be as in depth, but I think knowing those things that motivate your character or the things that pull your character down is how you can separate yourself just from someone who has all the same skills and talents as you do but hasn't thought of those things. Absolutely. Now, it's it's very interesting to me. I always love those kind of characters, and they're ones as well that have a lot of legs and can be featured in other ways. You know what I mean? You do, doesn't always need to be the most wittiest, doesn't always need to be the champion, but can always be uh, somebody that stands out like as an attraction. 
I think that's those are the things you need. You can't always, especially you know, in independent wrestling, you know, you're coming into a promotion. You're not just going to be put on a winning streak or be given the main event or given the championship just because. Mm-hmm. So you need to find other ways, you know, that you can make the impact so that that way, if you do just come in for a, for a booking and, you know, the promoter thinks, all right, I'll give you an opportunity, you can have the third match on the card and you can put over, you know, this guy. You can bring something to the table where even if you just go out, wrestle a 10-minute match, you know, put the guy over, you can still leave everyone thinking about you because you've got these qualities that kind of separate you, which, as you said, you watch the Deathmatch tournament and there is that whole tournament was... It, it's a null point to say because everyone said it to death, but it's still true that it, it's, it was stacked with talent, yeah. like to a ridiculous degree. And to stand out amongst that field purely because of the presentation is exactly why I think putting the thought into the things I have is worth it because it gives you something that, you know, I can't go out there and do the things that Royce can do with his body. I can't go out there and wrestle with the same talent that like a Jessica Troy can, but I can do what I can do really well. So I might not stand out because of my flips or because of my, my, you know, my technical work, but I'll stand out because I'm the best character there. And I will bring that to the match and elevate anything that I might not be able to do as well. I'll make look better because I can do this. Even if it's just something little, if, it, if it's what will put me ahead, then I will do it. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It's and it's exactly what you did. Like the the whole tournament, that they, they chose everybody so well. Everybody had such different skill sets and looks and everything like that. But yeah, you you come through and you're you're versing one of the most agile, you know, high flies in wrestling today. Like Royce is amazing. He kind of doesn't really obey gravity, and you're the perfect foil for that. Like you see he come through and he's a bit of a knockabout type bloke and you're like, oh, okay, here he comes. And then you come through and it's just this like cloud, like dark cloud presence and you've got this look and the mask and stuff like that. And what he wants to do is wrestle and fly and do that. But you're like, I'm going to ground him and I'm going to, you know, attack and, and, and wear him down. And that, immediately tells a story. Like, from the second you come through, it's not like, oh, look at these two guys doing these spots or whatever. It's like, now Royce is in peril and where's this going to go because this guy is dangerous, you know? I've had the uh, the misfortune, I suppose, of working with Royce many t- a few, fair few times. Yeah, so yeah, I, okay. I, know it's, I know his little tips and tricks and hurting him is always fun. Um, <laughs> as we saw on the second night, I left him with a nice little reminder. Yeah, he had a massive black eye. My fist in his face. Yeah. But it it is that. It's the little stories you can tell with... And Royce is someone, again, who everyone will always talk about how good Royce is in the ring and his what he can do with his body because it's, it's unparalleled. Just every time you think you've seen everything he can do, he just effortlessly goes and does something else where you don't know how he does it. I've seen... I've watched him work many, many times, and there's still things that I just, I can't comprehend how he's doing it. Yeah. Um, but is someone else who I truly believe the reason why he stands out 
is because of the character that he brings as well. Um, to the point where he's even, you know, he's he's expanding it to something much more than what I know it as. But he brings the same thing. He comes out and just in his entrance, if you've never seen him before, you know, you know what the character is, what he's about. And then he goes out there and does everything he does and it impacts so much more because there's that character behind it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we can have a story told so effortlessly just on the notion of he's so confident in who he is and I'm so confident in who I am that you don't go out there and for a second think that we're different people or that it doesn't work or that maybe we don't believe in what we're doing. It's two people that are very confident in who they are doing something that they know they can do and then you get the match that you get, something that effortlessly tells a nice little story, really. Yeah, exactly. And, like, you could tell how you two would be amazing foils for each other, like, in in a rivalry, in a match, anything like that. Like, it it just writes itself. It's, it's really interesting. Tell me about the mask, man. So I always love masks. I love Lucha stuff. I, I love looks like that. Where did developing that, come from and how did it all come about because that again is striking talk about cult leader type things it's got this kind of red skull kind of vibe to it 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 was really cool uh the mask itself i it came about purely by coincidence um so when i came into mcw melbourne city wrestling Mm -hmm. um i came in to torment my mentor the guy that trained me danny psycho Mm -hmm. um i did so by well, some people didn't like it, but I thought it was effective. It pissed him off um, <laughs> by stalking him and his family for a while just okay. to uh, remind him that, you know, he'd let me in and that was a mistake. bit of casual stalking? Just a little casual stalking. <laughs> I, I meant nothing malicious by it. I was just trying to drive him insane and, you know, cause him to completely break and, and snap psychotically. It's, it was nothing personal. It's in his name. Um, it's very that. Uh, so... What I did was I, I I wanted to keep it going for as long as I could and create a bit of mystery about it. So I, I decided I would wear a mask while sending these videos to him to play at MCW. Um, so my identity was, was kept a bit of a secret. So I did up just a really quick little mask. I just had some, like, plastic red masks and I just drew something on it that kind of, again... Just I liked the look of. And that was kind of what I worked with. And then when I debuted and revealed myself and attacked him, I I, um, pressured some some of the trainees to follow me and do what they were told or, you know, violent things would come to them. And they were smart enough to listen. And they also wore some masks and distracted him while he beat them up and was confused as why he didn't recognize any of these people. And then it allowed me to jump him. And then I kind of thought, I like this look. I like this kind of addition of a mask. And I wanted to keep it mainly to keep tormenting him, but then decided I wanted to keep it full-time as a little addition into what I do. And again, add something more to that presence and that appearance when I first came out. So I got a well, like a proper mask made. 
Um, so it was literally just a proper rendition of the cheap little one that I'd kind of mocked up myself because I figured, again, if I'm going to come out with it, I want it to look the part, and it's not going to look the part if it's a little red plastic mask that I've drawn on. Yeah. It needs to look well and proper. Yeah, so hence the mask that you see now. Mm-hmm. And then it itself has become a part of things. Um, over last year, I put up a few videos of what I kind of spent my summer doing, which was um, finding a way to properly communicate with the Eternal Ones, my idols, mm-hmm. and have kind of bestowed the mask to be the vessel in which I can talk to them through. Mm-hmm. So no. So, Bit of a line of contact as well as a beautiful accessory. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's very striking. And hey, if it if it doubles as some kind of spirit phone, that's not going to hurt. No, no, it does. <laughs> um, where so do you ever find in matches the phone just uh, the phone the mask uh, distracts you? Like, does it speak to you in matches? Of course. Oh, okay. Gives you tips, coaching tips. Watch the no, leg. That kind of stuff. Think of it. Think of it as like a like a permanent corner man. But instead of having to shout over, you know, all the idiots in the crowd, it's just a straight line, straight to the mind. Oh. Tricks, strategies. It's a beautiful thing to have when one's achieved achieved fuller enlightenment. Wow. So is it kind of the thing like watch out behind you? That kind of stuff. Watch the kick. Bit of. Well, I can't give away all my secrets. Oh, well, yeah, okay. So just It's very, very, uh, very interesting. So, you know, uh, there might be something in this eternal one business. That's all I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. I would offer you a pamphlet if I had any, but it's a bit um, it's a bit primordial in itself. It's very old. Yeah. I don't know. I, With with all due respect, I, I think it might cripple you mentally. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that I've already had enough emotional crippling in my entire life that I'm not sure I need that. Plus, I imagine if it is super ancient, really you probably only deal in stone tablets and freighting one of those over to WA wouldn't be cheap. A lot of um, a lot of incantations, a lot of writing, mm. you know, blood rituals, the normal things. Oh, okay, yeah, just a little bit casual blood rituals. Oh, well, that's very interesting. Uh, where, <laughs> so, where are we uh, planning on seeing Edward Dust pop up next? So, we we saw you in the heavyweight title tournament. Did it go well? We did love that, but uh, you did have the tag match the the next night, which I felt like again you immediately stood out in. Uh, when you walked out of the curtain first, um, do you have plans to do more work with them? Absolutely, I I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time um, over the the course of the two days, and I think between Royce and then the enemies I've made through Team Candy, uh, there's plenty of unfinished business. I would say in in Deathmatch Down Under. Plus, it's you know it's You'd be foolish not to try and become a part of what they're doing. They're very clearly attached to themselves to to people that is doing something different to what no one else is doing because it's it's gone from something I think a lot of people dismissed as like ah it's a you know a flash in the pan mm-hmm. to really becoming something that's cornering the market in a way no one else is. Yeah, and it's working in a tremendous capacity. Um, I think the Deathmatch tournament. Ah, sorry the championship tournament that I was a part of 
was a great indicator of that. And I think the hype going into the Dream Tournament in August is further proof that there is a hunger for what they're doing. And in many capacities, it's something that I want to be a part of and continue to be a part of. Um, as I said, whether it's finishing that unfinished business or dabbling in some new things, either way, to be a part of it is something I want to be a part of. Yeah. Or do, rather, would be probably be the better way to say that. Yeah. Could you see yourself ever doing any deathmatch stuff? Have you done anything like that before or do you have any interest in it? I've not dabbled in deathmatches themselves, like a pro- well proper deathmatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, when Danny Psycho retired before he came out of retirement, um, and I put him there, we had a TLC match, which obviously is a very much a different, you know, kettle of fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely a bit of a taste for something different yeah. and something that I as someone with a violent disposition, enjoyed. And there is a bit of a... There's something about what you see in those matches that that definitely sparks something in my mind, whether it's from a, you know, everyone's assumption would probably be just the violent side of it, that I want to go out there and do these things. But it's much more the creative side. I like the... um, I like the thought that might have to go into it. And I like how creative I could get. There's only so much you can do with, you know the ropes, the posts, the rings, and the guardrails. Whereas, you know, in a death match, nothing's really out of the question. You know, there's a whole lot of things I can think you could do with just something like fishing wire that I would love to explore. So it's not something I've dabbled in, but something that definitely, you know, there's a little twinkle in my eye, I'd say. Mm, Well, you seem to be somebody that thinks about things a lot and I'm already very intrigued to see what you would come up with. When I think about some of like the best deathmatch workers and stuff and, and yeah, it, it all comes from those more creative spots and that, that tends to interest me too. Like what, what's next? What have they built? What are they doing? Even just like the, the first headlining match of the first show, like Damien Rivers with the cling wrap, like I'd never seen that before. And mm. and I think it opened a lot of people's eyes. They were like, whoa, that's something that no one's done before, you know. Uh, and, yeah, people could get pretty innovative when they put their minds to it and, like you say, have that, uh, that kind of disposition to be creative. I've um, The one person I've watched a lot who I've seen do a lot of creative things that definitely kind of shows that there's that room for it is, you know, he's the best. I, I He's definitely goes without saying um, – Alex Cologne's definitely yes. kind of the king of doing it at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm not about to sit here and tell you that I've watched hours upon hours of deathmatch wrestling, but from what I've watched and from what I've seen of him, his creativity for doing different things mm-hmm. with similar with the same thing over and over again, but I don't think I've seen him use like one weapon or for like lack of a better term, the same way twice. The man is creative in what he does, and I'm sure that's a great strategy for deathmatch wrestling. If you play in a limited capacity, people are going to know what you're doing. Whereas if you get a bit more creative, a bit more outside the box, no one's really going to know what's coming for you. And I think that's definitely what entices me to them. Plus, I think it's a bit of a... um, It's very fighting spirity. You know, they want to show you how tough they are, how much they can endure. Whereas... 
I don't really have much of an interest in that. I think that the one thing I could bring to deathmatch wrestling that no one else does is I don't exactly want to be hit in the head by a light tube. So rather than stand there and look at you in the eye and show you how tough I am, I think I'll just move and then gouge your eye out instead. Exactly. I like that. That's not, uh, there's not a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, cerebral kind of uh, wrestlers in deathmatch. Like you say, it's a lot of like smash glass over their own head, like out outwork the other person, you know, uh, that kind of craftiness and evilness, I think has a place for sure. Um, and yeah, did you did you get a chance to check out the most recent tournament of survival? I did. It was the first one I had watched. Actually, I've I'd seen like the the old tournament of deaths, you know, that CCW do, uh, but it was the first tournament of survival that I'd watched uh, in full, no less. Yeah, uh, and so that in itself was a lot of uh, not new exposure. There was very few people I wasn't familiar with. Mm-hmm. But to be exposed to it in a full capacity was was something different. And it was very much that, like seeing how creative and how unique things would things were. And just in like, you know, obviously Deathmatch Down Under is doing a very similar thing with how they do their, their themed deathmatches, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And it does add that layer of creativity to things. And I think obviously the tournament of survival, like that crew of guys is definitely what I think is where I've taken that perception that it's not, you know, deathmatch wrestling isn't just we'll, you know, we'll cut each other for 10 minutes. It is that it's an evolved form of that, the old fighting spirit um, essence of wrestling. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's showing that, you know, that no matter how far down you are, work, like, pushed, you will keep coming back just as hard, if not harder. And I think you saw, like, the final of that tournament of survival had me at a point where I was, every time I was like, well, that's it, he's done. Same, it's, it's same, same, I was going crazy. They just kept coming. And it's very much that same, you know, that old, you know, old Japan kind of style or, you know, what you see in New Japan a lot now and um, what people have kind of become synonymous with whenever you say, like, oh, it's fighting spirit. It's kind of that, that essence of that same style of wrestling. You just have that added layer of deathmatch wrestling on top of it. And I think it's it's craft it's creating a market for it that's showing people that I think dismiss it a lot. Yeah. I feel like it has been for a long time. I remember like I, the through the two thousands when I was finding like CCW and whatnot, deathmatch wrestling it was just it was oh, I don't want that. That's not that's not wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I never think it was, but I think definitely now you can't just dismiss it because it's not what it used to be. It's a lot better. It's a lot smarter, and there's a whole lot more to it. And I feel like the fact that people are garnering this proper respect for it now as like a genre within wrestling is a wonderful thing. I think so for sure. I feel like deathmatch wrestling like kept like almost put wrestling on its back during the COVID era. Like when you look at companies like ICW No Holds Barred and GCW and stuff, when there was nothing around and 
and all the you know stadium type wrestling and stuff had dried up and was just screens and wasn't that they were just doing these grimy car park shows that just like captured everybody's imagination and were just awesome you know like outlaw kind of shows that where you're just like dude this is just so cool this has this kind of like fight club vibe to it it feels dangerous it feels underground and and yeah, it is. I I think sparked a, a real resurgence for the genre. Maybe, maybe not even resurgence. Maybe more than it's ever been in a sense, like of pushing it into the mainstream. I think to to what you say, I think the look of it is something that definitely is unique. Because I remember that was what I remember when I stumbled across Tornoid of Death way back when. That was what made me stop. Yeah, I, I found just it would have been either a DVD someone had given me or perusing you know YouTube when. You could find stuff so easily just on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But it was just a ring set up in a field that had me like, what, what is this? Yeah. I love the tailgate nature of those, like, you know, old uh, um, yeah tournaments and stuff like that. It's like, what is this backwater shit that's going on here? And it's I'm kind of all for it. It, it, le- it lends itself in the way that it doesn't look professional. Not in a in a like I'm not demeaning it when I say that, but it adds to it. Like when you say like, oh, we're gonna have a deathmatch tournament, and it is just a fight to see who is the best. Mm-hmm. You do that in a nice, beautiful venue. It's it still works, but doing it in like a parking lot or a field, it feels like even it it adds that layer of mystique to it because it's like, well, we we couldn't even find a venue that would let us have this kind of violence. Yeah. We have run it in this abandoned field or something like i'd love to do like see like a tournament of death or something run from like some dingy old warehouse yeah really just for the aesthetic a good arena goes a long way yeah but i i think you're absolutely right i think that over you know covid you've seen deathmatch wrestling kind of really pull itself to the forefront in a time when there was nothing else because it was that opportunity to say, well, you can't look at anything else, so come look at this and see how well we're doing it. Absolutely. Like uh, the first show back for ICW Volume 2 where they're just like in a car park in Atlantic City. Uh, have you seen that one? I've not. Yeah, so ICW No Holds Barred Volume 2. It's on IWTV for everybody that wants to check it out. It's like literally just in like a car park uh, surrounded by all these, you know, uh, sort of decrepit-looking apartments and things like that. People are coming in through through the cars and stuff, and they've got uh, flame things shooting up and stuff, and you're just like, what the fuck is this? Because it just looks like some outlaw shit. The stream started with Nick Gage versus Casanova Valentine, if I remember correctly, and it crashed like three times because so many people were watching it. And it was still afternoon at that time, but it was like grey skies getting dark and it just looks like a fight in a back alley. And then as it gets dark, they've just got like the single lights on the ring and Akira's jumping off the roof, like with tubes on his back through Reed Bentley through a table and stuff. And you're just like, this is out of control. What is happening here? And that presentation is amazing. And from what I understand from speaking to those guys, it kind of was a bit out of control. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, so there's all that kind of stuff. Um, I would recommend checking it out, man. It's really cool. But uh, rewinding to Tournament of Survival, um, I had watched the previous year's one, and it was fine. I enjoyed it. And that was also, that was like in a boardwalk car park or something. But there was something about this year's that like, like you said, every match had a stipulation. 
everything escalated. Everybody was creative to what they did. And when it ramped up to that final match between Alex Cologne and Atticus Koga, like, I'm not actually sure if I've enjoyed a death match more than that. Like, how creative those two dudes were, like, lifting up the boards and the glass through the ring. They were doing things that I'd just never seen before. And like you said, you're like, this is it. Alex is gone, he's gone, he's gone. And then in the end, when he just, fighting spirit, snaps, dragon suplex type thing, drops him on his head, picks him up, knee to the face, and then chokes him out. It just comes out of nowhere. And you're like, he's just had enough now, and he just burns through it. And that was, yeah, that was a really killer way. And I think an example for anybody that wants to do death matches of how to sort of structure it and, and get together something really exciting. I think you told it. I think it tells a story and it goes yeah. back to what we were saying at the beginning is that, you know, you can go out there and do whatever you want, but adding and weaving in that story as well, mm-hmm. it elevates it to being, you're not just watching a match. Yeah. Now you're watching something, you know, um, happen in front of you and like I've as I said this is the first one I'd watched in full but the ever present nature of Alex Colon trying to win you know trying to complete the three peat mm-hmm. is enough for me to go oh well hey that'd be really cool I want to see that yeah or you know if you want to go the other way maybe you don't maybe you, you want to see you know um Atticus just take that away from him yeah yeah it's it's an easy story to tell I mean I was I was the f- from Bam and Alex. Oh, that was my favorite match of yeah. the tournament. Mm-hmm. And from that match I was in, I was like, all right, now this is, this, this is really interesting. And I'm going to stay. I'm going to watch this whole show at like seven in the morning. Um, and that was, that was where I was kind of hooked. And then yeah, by the time the final came around, so it was, I was absolutely captivated by it. Yeah. Had you known the history of Bam and Alex before that started? No. So, um, if you if you don't know now, or for anybody listening, they had like a bit of beef as well. So, a couple of things had happened uh, in H two O. Bam became the very first Danny Havoc Hardcore Champion. Uh, he beat Alex Cologne for that, or beat him in the tournament. So they they had a little bit of beef, right? Then, when Tournament of Survivals announced. Bam puts out on Twitter, he's like, hey, GCW, how many likes would it take to get me in Tournament of Survival or whatever? And GCW tweeted back, I don't know, 2000 or whatever it was. That then happens or whatever, and then Bam's in the tournament, right? And then so Alex gets on Twitter and he's just like, hey, I kind of respect Bam, uh, but I don't think that's the way to get into something like Tournament of Survival. It's something I've won twice, and I think that's bullshit, basically. So they start having back and forth, and then Bam cuts a promo like, oh, sorry, I didn't do it your way, and blah, blah, blah. And then Alex cuts this promo where he's like, well, motherfucker, we're going to meet in this thing, and I'm going to be putting my fists in your face, and we'll see what you actually respect. So there was this, like, heat, like just, you know, online heat they built themselves leading into it. And then when that match, you know, starts as hot as it does, like Alex just waste him with all those tubes kind of thing. Everybody was on board immediately. And it's really cool that like that tension could flow through even when you didn't know that little story. They were just sort of weaving themselves on the outside of it as well. Twitter beef can be the <laughs> can be the the uh the driving force for for anything these days. Arguing on the internet is the new 
attacking someone backstage, I think. It is. That's that's literally what it is. <laughs> like, And especially with independents when they're not like around for these things and around each other or on TV, it's a good way to do it. You can get it in early. That's a good point. That's very true. I take back my sass. <laughs> good way to put it. Yeah. Well, well cutting like the the promos and stuff like that and using whatever you have to your advantage, I think is never bad. I know you've done some uh, promo videos and, and things like that. And it can really maybe in something where there is no build or starting something raw, maybe you guys can create something before you even get there, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think it's something I always, I would like to do. Um, whenever someone asks me, could you make a, could you make a, promo for this um, I know they probably don't expect me to go to the lengths I do but it's it's very that it's an easy way to set up you know some kind of story or narrative going into something that doesn't have one yeah it might need it it may never happen again but I think at least if you're making that the effort it goes a lot further than if you don't yeah. I mean if I can put together a, a little promo video to, to put up that will give us some kind of context to work in. It will go. It will do more for the match than if we don't. Absolutely. So I think it's something that's absolutely worth it, and it's something I love doing. Um, again, it's a beautiful creative outlet. Uh, it's something that I think I do very well, mm-hmm. and the character lends itself to very wonderfully. So it's something that I always look forward to doing, and enjoy doing i mean it's again over lockdown it was all it's all we could do so it was definitely something where i just kind of thought well, if i can't do anything else i'll work on this i'll do this mm-hmm. even if no one else enjoys it i'll enjoy it yeah well the, those kind of videos like live forever as well like what do you want people to see like say they google you or whatever they're like oh who's this edward dust guy do do you want them to just see you like having to yell at the screen like in front of the wall of your house with bad lighting or do you do you want them to see the character for the ground up like when they they look on anything like it's always put together and they're always like who is this and that goes for fans that goes for people who are going to book you that goes for your opponents everything you want to it's best to come across professional at all times it's it's very it's what i um so over lockdown i created four videos that I just do up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all still there for everyone to go and watch and enjoy. I worked very hard on them. And my partner as well. I should give credit where credit's due. And that was kind of the idea, was as, as we've said and as I've spoken to you, the character slowly evolved over time. And it was around 2019, 2020 that I kind of had decided this is it. This is what the character is. It will still evolve. It will still grow. But at the moment, I know that this is the first proper finished version. Um, There's no more, you know, tweaks to be made. This is version one. This is it. And I wanted a way to encapsulate it that I could give to people or have there for people to see because trying to give a quick two-minute summary, not even that, a quick one-sentence summary without rambling or have people realise I'm a bit too invested in this can be hard. So I wanted to create something that exactly that, whether it be a fan, whether it be a promoter, whether it be someone that gets told they're working with me and they kind of want an idea of what I do, Mm -hmm. 
um, can go to see something and go, okay, I've got a bit of a grasp of what this is meant to be. And it was exactly that. So I kind of produced these videos that were a story in themselves, but then little metaphors for the greater parts of the character so that someone could go and watch this in something that I think takes maybe like six, eight minutes to watch yeah. um, with all four videos together. And you'd have an idea, you'd, you'd know the character, you know what he's like, what he believes in, what motivates him, what his weaknesses are. And you could leave and go, okay, I know what that is now. And it goes exactly to what you're saying where that's what I wanted. I wanted that to be there so that pe if people do search for me or look me up, there's this thing here. This is the impression I want you to take from me, not, you know, whatever else you might find. I think the only other thing that pops up is um, an article from way back that PCW posted when I had lost a lot of weight. They did, like, a little story on it, and I think that's the other thing that comes up. So you've got these four videos of um, me on an endeavour to craft a ritual and my weight loss journey. Yeah, exactly. And do you think that the character of Edward Dust, like you talk about weaving threads together, like do you see who he is now is that same kid that started? Like, you know what I mean? Like in the, the mythos of it is he was actually this kid that went through this journey and is now crafting himself into fighting these beings and being everything that he is. The Yes. So it's very much, it, it's the, the, the real, like we've kind of talked about how I did it. And then as the character, I look at it very much the same, yeah. but in the confines of it's delving down this path towards this eternal ones and this faith and this old religion that he's found. And as time goes on and he gets and delves further into it, as we said, this broken psyche and it's creating this bigger and larger way to justify all these awful things he wants to do, the, fur the more it kind of morphs into what we've seen. And I think it shows, like, it's something you can look at just by, like, if you found photos of me over the years, it goes from me wrestling in, like, grey tights and a black singlet and kick pads for some reason um, and an arm sleeve because I'm an idiot. <laughs> And so, then it turns into black tights and a cut-off shirt, and then the coat comes in, and then the shirt goes away, and then the tights turn into the ones that I have now with the sigils on them and things like that, and then the mask, and then a different coat, and the mask comes in, and it slowly transforms and and grows, and I think it's a visual representation of obviously me evolving as a wrestler, mm -hmm. but the character evolving as it goes further down this dark path and yep. kind of embraces this, you know, mythology that is created to justify everything. Mm -hmm. So I, there's definitely that. There's definitely that thought put into it that you can tie it all together if you want. Again, it's one of those things where you don't need to look that deep into it, but if you want to, it's absolutely there to see. Exactly. I love that. I love that level of thought, man. That's awesome. Where do people uh, find your YouTube videos and where do they catch you on social media? So the YouTube channels, <clears throat> the YouTube channel is just Edward Dusk. Nice and easy. It's the only one that pops up. Mm -hmm. uh, on Twitter and Instagram, both the same, Dusk Eternal underscore. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and my merch can be found on Wrestler Merch. That's awesome, man. So put together. Guys, don't sleep on Edward Dusk. Make sure you check him out wherever he is performing. Uh, you can catch him on PCW, MCW, Deathmatch Down Under. And do you have any words for the people? Yes. The sooner they realize that I am their favorite wrestler, the better. Well said. So, for your new favorite wrestler, Edward Dusk, and for Faces and Fields Pro Wrestling Podcast, remember, it's all about peace, love, and pro wrestling, and the Eternals. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Faces and Fields is a DIY project created and edited in-house by me, Rafe Houston. You can show your support by following us on Instagram at FacesFieldsCast, Twitter at FacesFieldsCast, and Facebook at FacesFieldsCast. Or send us an email with topic suggestions or feedback to facesandfeels at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Our banger theme is Loose Lips Sink Ships by the Thunder Vipers. Check it out on Spotify. And now hang around for a quick word from some friends of the show. Peace out. My body is a roadmap of pain. Oh! DeathmatchWorldwide.com, the official online merchandise store that is only for Deathmatch Wrestling. Featuring official t-shirts from No Peace Underground, John Wayne Murdoch, Akira, Madman Pondo, Zona 23, Neil Diamond Cutter, G. Raver, Schlack, Necro Butcher, and many more. If you are a Deathmatch Wrestling promotion, manager, or platform and are interested in joining the web store, send us an email to deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. Deathmatchworldwide.com for the violent view.